Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Um, last week we started a, a, a brand new series um, on, on the book of Hebrews. Could, could you bump me up just, just a hair? Uh, my voice feels a little bit uh, shredded this morning, and uh, if I hear myself, then I won't try to get quite so loud. Thank you. Uh, last week we started a new series on, on the book of Hebrews. And uh, as, uh, as before, I encourage you to, to just jump into the book of Hebrews and begin reading it and, and wrestling with it. And last week, we talked about the, the message that God spoke to us. Uh, that he spoke to the, this message to us through His Son, Jesus. And the message has to do with sin. It has to do with the purification of sin. And, and that's really important for us to hear because we learned that our sin both enrages and breaks the heart of God. That, that's the picture of the cross right there because the cross shows us the, the rage of God against sin. The, all of the wrath of God poured out against sin, but at the same time, it shows us the incredible mercy and the incredible love of God that, that His own Son would take that rage upon Himself in order to make sure that the price that our sin demanded was paid. So, so the message that was, that was given to us through his son was a message of love, that, that, that he jumped in front of the speeding car and took it in our place. And the message is a message of hope, hope that I, that I don't have to be chained to the sins of, of my past, that, that, uh, that, that I don't have to be owned by that stuff, that, that it doesn't get to master me. It's also it's a message of hope that God didn't just save me and abandon me and say, good luck with this, hope you do okay, but that He is constantly chiseling away. Anybody here ever feel the chisel of God on your life? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and uh, that's not always a pleasant thing, but God uh, didn't just abandon me or, or, or you, that, but He is constantly chiseling away and He's healing and He's confronting and He's uh, disciplining and he's, and he's caring for us, and He's loving for us, and He's being gracious to us, and He's sanctifying us as we go so that sin becomes uh, more and more loses its power in, in my life, and, and, and also I'm more and more conformed to the image of His Son. So that's what we talked about last week, and uh, that's a brief summary. And you can watch that online if you'd like to on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. But, uh, so we talked about that last week, the message. Today we're still going to be in, in, the ch in chapter 1 of Hebrews, but I want us to see something just a little bit different. Because today, instead of the message, I want us, excuse me, let me get this situated, there we go. I want us to see the messenger. The messenger. The carrier of this message of love and hope that God speak to us, speaks to us. Because and we're going to learn that the messenger is very, very important for us when we hear the message. So let, let's pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us today. We need your anointing. I need your strength. I need your touch. Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would just make your word come alive to us. I, I come before you, God, confessing my weakness. And Lord, I know that, uh, that if I speak uh, alone today, that uh, this is going to be a wasted day, and I will have wasted the time of these people, but... God, if somehow you speak through me, then this will be a powerful day and you'll change lives. And so, Lord, that's what I'm asking you to do. I yield myself in the best way I know how. And I pray, Jesus, that you would speak to us and you would change us and do what you want to do in our lives today. And we know that you're going to do something and we believe you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
I remember a number of years back uh, when uh, Julie and I were expecting our first child, Aaron. It was, a, uh, it was really, really an amazing, amazing time for us because we had wanted children for quite some time, but we, we were tw- married for 12 years before Aaron was born, and, but we had never been able to, to have children. We, you know, we never went to the doctor to find out if there was anything wrong or anything like that, but, but, uh, but we had waited a long time, and all of a sudden we find out that she's, that she's pregnant. And, and even though we were a little older than most first-time parents, uh, you know, I'm to the point now that I, I'm always afraid when I go somewhere with my daughters that they're going to say, is that your grandpa? That's the part of, I'm waiting for that to happen. I'm afraid of that. But, but we were a little older than first-time parents, than most first-time parents. And, uh, but even though we were older, we were still complete rookies. You know, anybody remember your first child? You know, you're a rookie. You just, you don't, and you become book parents. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I, I remember uh, when, I, when we first found out, I remember how shocked I was when Julie first told me she was pregnant. And we were so excited, but we, we, didn't, we didn't really know what to do. But we called the doctor and we made, made our, our first appointment. And uh, we, we, we made that appointment, but, and we got there and we were going through it. And we, and we honestly, we got a little bit lucky uh, on that first appointment there, because the doctor started using that little, little I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they have this little handheld deal where they listen for the heartbeat of the baby, and they do that regularly, want to make sure that everything's fine there, and, and she was having trouble finding the heartbeat, and, and, but she assured us, she said, that's, that's not a big deal, she said, this early in the pregnancy, that's not uncommon, it's really hard to find with this small little instrument here, and so instead of wasting time with that, we got really lucky because she said, let's just go and do a sonogram. So on her very first appointment, she took us in there and she did this sonogram. And so we, on our very, very first appointment, got to see a picture of our baby. Now, our first picture, uh, she was about the size of a peanut, they said. And so she was really little. She's in there, but we saw it. We saw the picture. Then several weeks later, uh, about you know 20 weeks along or so the time came to do the sonogram that that most parents <clears throat> excuse me uh, really anxiously wait for and that's the one where we got to see the the gender of the baby to find out if it was going to be a boy or girl so we went in there and you know they they greased up her belly with not grease but that gel they use and and they started they started going through there, and he started pointing out. The technician started showing us different stuff. He's like, he's like, here's the head. And honestly, especially your first time you see a sonogram, I was looking and I said, where? I, I don't see anything. All I see is static. Where is, where is there a head? And, and he kind of pointed it out, and, and I, I kept, you know, he kept going through all the different body parts, and he, he eventually got to the part where he asked us, he said, now, do you want to know your baby's gender? And we said, yes, that we did. And, and, and he looked at us and he said, it's a girl. It's a girl. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes, look right here. And he pointed at the screen and I said, I don't see anything. And he said, that's the point. <laughs> and, so, and so we knew it was a girl. And, and it was great because on our very, you know, early on, at that point in time especially, we got to see a picture of our new baby girl, even though we hadn't even seen her in person yet. You know something, in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author does something kind of similar. Because what he does, he, he, he wants to paint a picture of Jesus 
to help us see him a more, little more clearly, to help us understand what he's like and who he is. But sometimes we, we look at it and we read the words and the words you know, seem so complicated at times and jumbled and we can't figure it out. And we look at that and, and even though he's painting a picture of Jesus, we're like, I don't see anything. I, I just don't see anything here. But then, listen, as you look closer, I hope that you'll begin to, to, to make some things out that the portrait of Jesus that he paints will become clearer. Because after a while, you know, it got easy to see that baby in the sonogram. After we, after we had a little practice, after we took a little time looking at it, then you could clearly see it. And that's what I hope will happen with us, that we'll see Jesus clearly. And in seeing Jesus clearly, that today we'll begin to understand the significance of what the author of Hebrew is saying to us about the carrier of the message. Because the carrier of the message makes all the difference. So let's just jump into Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We read this last week, but we're going to look at a different part of it today. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Okay, so God spoke long ago at many times and in different, many different ways by the prophets, He says. And, and I think to understand what the writer is trying to say here, I think, first of all, we need to understand the, the role of the prophets in Scripture. And an excellent example of, that, of the role of the prophet is, and how he functioned, what he did, is found in Isaiah chapter 48. You can find, I'm sure, many, many images or many, many uh, Scriptures and, uh, that, that would show this. But, but look at Isaiah 48. Keep your finger here in Hebrews Chapter 1, we're going to come back to it, but look at Isaiah 48, beginning in verse 16. And it starts out with God speaking. This is what he says. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me. Now the prophet is saying, and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So, okay, so a prophet was one uh, to whom God spoke. And then he sent with a message. And that's what Hebrews is saying. God spoke by sending messengers in the person of the prophets. Let's keep reading in Isaiah 48. Thus says the Lord, your, uh, the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Okay, so follow me here. What's happening here and what happens over and over again in the Old Testament through the prophets, what's happening is that God spoke to a prophet about how the world should be and also about what his people are really like, even if they're playing a religious game. He talks about what the people are really like. And then he gave the prophet instructions to pass on to the people. So what does a prophet do? What's, what's his message? Well, a prophet speaks about what the world should be. And then speaks about who we really are as, as people, as the people of God. And then he warns us to do better because, that, because of, uh, th this is what you're missing. So the, the prophet, as we understand this, is clearly the messenger of God. 
And the people are clearly responsible for obeying the content of the message. And if they obey, then positive consequences will follow. And if they don't obey, if they disobey, then unbelievably painful events will take place. This is the system that God that was used by God for thousands and thousands of years where he would speak to a prophet. He would come with a message and say, this is what should be. This is who you are. This is what you need to do to, to, to correct it. And over and over and over again, God... God spoke to certain people and made his will known through them. Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and many, many more that we can't even name them all. But they all heard God speak and then they become the, became the mouthpieces for God. Honestly, I just got to say, I've often wondered why God would ever change that. I mean, is the new way better? That's the question. What I mean by that is you see people like Jacob in the Bible and, and, and honestly, you read stories like this and it's just kind of cool. It really is. I mean, he got to wrestle with God. Literally. He wrestled with, with him all night long. And, and you know, it, I get to read the Bible and pray while Jacob w- went, went all MMA with, with Jesus, you know. It's just, it's just different. And I know I'd come away with a limp and my hip would be all messed up, but, it just, but I would have seen God. It would be just kind of a cool thing. Or, or what about Moses? In Exodus 34, we're told about how Moses had spent time with God up on the mountain. And when he came down, this is what happened. Exodus 34 says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Duh, (laughs) wouldn't you be? Moses is glowing, all right? But Moses called to them and Aaron and, and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with him. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he, what he was commanded, the, pe- the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. I mean, listen, how cool is that? Really, isn't it? I mean, the skin of his face was glowing. I, I mean, the people of Israel knew that Moses had been with God very easily because his face was glowing. They, they would be like, you know, it'd be like if you were, you know, talking, uh, if, I, uh, if I was talking to you and I came out here to preach and my face was glowing. You'd be, you, you'd be first of all, you'd be like, what's the deal with that? You know, Pastor David needs to stay away from the tanning bed or something. I don't know what's going on there. But, but, uh, but you'd be like, what's the deal, Pastor Dave? And I'd be like, oh. I just had a really good quiet time before I came out here, you know, and I'd, I'd take the, you know, the veil off of you right now. But if I did, it'd probably kill you. You know, that's what I'd be like. But people in the church would, would it would be simple because people would say, how do we know, Pastor Dave, that you've heard from God? And then I just sort of tip the veil up and they'd be like, oh, OK, I see. I got you now. Right. So it, it, in some ways. It would be really, really great if people would, could know that God is speaking to them through the preaching of the word. If there was, 
you know, some sort of limp that signaled that they had been with God or, or, or maybe their face was glowing because of talking with God. I mean, it'd be pretty amazing. The old system was pretty amazing. It was pretty cool. But, but the writer of Hebrews is actually trying to draw a comparison between the two different types of messengers. Now, I haven't mentioned the title of the series, but the title is Jesus is Better. That's the theme of this. And Jesus, the author of Hebrews is trying to say, this way was awesome. This was powerful. When God was speaking through the prophets, it was um, incredible and it was powerful. But there's something better now. And so the writer of Hebrews, he's going to draw a comparison between these two different types of messengers. First, he says, God spoke in the past through mere men. And these men, who were, who, they were chosen to carry God's message. But then he says, but now he speaks to us. Now, the other way was pretty amazing, as we already made clear. But now he speaks to us by his son. By his son. Now, to know the significance of that, we have to we have to begin to understand and know who his son really is. So look at Hebrews 1, 1 again. We're going to read through verse 4. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, there's some pretty amazing things in this passage that are really kind of easy for us to miss because we read it and we think, well, that sounds pretty interesting. That sounds pretty important, but we don't really catch it. But he starts off with these two things. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And he's the exact imprint of his nature. Now, you can read that and say, that, there's, there's a lot of weight there. There's something big going on there. But we need to understand really what he's saying. First, Jesus radiates the glory of God. Now, that phrase, the glory of God, we use it all the time, don't we? I mean, anybody that's been in church, if you're a Christian, you say, I want to do everything I can for the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. And that's good. But, but, we, but I think a lot of times we use it and we don't really know what the glory of God is. Right? We have this kind of nebulous idea that's out there. It's like, well, it's sort of his presence or something. But what is the glory of God. What does the Bible mean when it talks about the glory of God? I heard somebody explain it like this, and I think this is probably the best explanation I've ever heard. Glory is the unique excellence of something that sets it apart from others. I'm going to say it again. Glory is the unique excellence of something that sets it apart from all others. So, let me give you some examples from the real world, and you'll, you'll be able to understand, and then we'll apply it to God. For example... What is the glory of Mount Everest? The glory of Mount Everest is its height, right? It's the tallest mountain in the world. That's what sets it apart from all other mountains. Do you see that? That's the glory of Mount Everest is, the, is its height because that's what sets it apart from all other mountains. What's the glory of a cheetah? Anybody have an idea what the glory of a cheetah is? I saw somebody mouth it. It, it's, it's speed, it's fast. 
because it's the fastest land animal on earth. That's what sets it apart from every other creature. That's its glory. So you ask yourself, what is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is everything that sets him apart from all of creation. Everything that sets him apart from all of creation. That's the glory of God. That's the brightness of God. Glory literally means the brightness. It's that you look at him and you say, you know what? That is not like anything else on earth. Whether it's his power, whether it's his whether it's his, his holiness or whether it's his, his, um, uh, his omnipresence, whatever it is, all about him, everything about him that makes him God, that makes him different than creation, that is the glory of God. So when we say, I want to see the glory of God, what you're saying is, God, I want to see everything that makes you you. I want to see everything that sets you apart from creation. I want to see everything in you that makes you different than me so that I can know how to worship you more fully. That's the glory of God. And so Jesus radiates the unique excellence that separates God from all of creation. He is God. He is, he is God. He also says he is the exact imprint of his image. That's an amazing thing because here's the thing about God. He's invisible. Everybody notice that? Anybody notice you can't, that you, anybody, you, you, have you noticed? I just want to take a poll. Anybody here ever physically seen God? Okay, so we don't see him because he's a spirit, right? But it says that Jesus is, is the exact imprint of who God is. He, he's a perfect imprint of that. In other words, Jesus is the visible expression of God's invisible being. Everything that you can't see in God has been made visible in Jesus. His life on earth. The, the, the fact that he has power to heal. That he has power over darkness. That he has power to forgive sins. That he has the power to do all of these things and more. It's the it gives us the visible expression of God's invisible being. But we're also told in that passage that the Son is the one through whom God created the world. And he's the heir of all things. That's this is just an amazing statement. First of all, the Son is the creator, the, the very beginning of creation. He and he we're also told that he's the one who holds the universe together, and then in the end, all of it's going to be his. That's exactly what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1. He said, For by him all things were created. He's talking about Jesus here. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The reason all the atoms of your body don't fly apart into nothingness is because the hand of God is resting upon you and he holds it all together. This is him. Everything on earth owes its existence to him and was created for him. That means when we read the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Now remember, what we're talking about, this is Jesus we're talking about. When we read the, the account of the, account of the, uh, the, the, the story of, the, of creation of the, of the world in Genesis chapter 1, when you read it, you need to be aware, Jesus is the active agent of creation as God speaks. Why is that significant? Why does it matter? 
Well, it's because, first of all, through creation, God has revealed himself from the beginning of time. One of my favorite passages of scripture says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So the things that we cannot see, he said, have been clearly perceived. In other words, you could say have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in the things that, that have been made. So they are without excuse. He's saying, yes, God is invisible, but through creation, he, everything that he is, he, his, 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 all of that has been has been painted into creation so that we can see that there's something beyond just the created order. Ultimately, here's the, here's the thing about it. And this is, this is what I've all, all, often said for many, many years. People who, who want to uh, deny the creation of the, of, of the world uh, and say, God, there is no creator. It's all just chance. It's all just evolution or whatever. Ultimately, here, here's, here's what I believe. Why most people, honestly, if they were to be open and look deep in their souls, why they, they won't accept a creator God. It's because ultimately, the fact that there is a creator and that we have been created by him means that we are accountable to him. Romans chapter 1 tells us three things that we have done. Three ways that we have blown it. Three ways that we are accountable to him. Number one, everybody who has ever been born has chased created things rather than the creator. Everybody in this room at one time or another, if not, if not daily, has said, I prefer God's stuff over God. Every one of us has chosen at one time or another created things rather than the creator. Everyone here is guilty. I'm not going to take a lot of time to deal with that. That's number one. The second thing that Romans 1 tells us is everyone has at one time or another believed, and this is probably is daily, every one of us has believed that his or her way is better than God's way. We've all made that choice at times, despite the fact that God is the infinite creator of, of the universe and you made a C minus in algebra two, we continue to believe that our way of seeing and our way of doing is somehow superior to God's way of seeing and God's way of doing. Everyone in this room is guilty. Now, if you're in this place, you're watching the live stream and, and you're saying, thinking to yourself, I don't know, I don't know, I've been, I've been pretty good. I haven't missed Sunday school since 1973. I'm in pretty good shape. Well, here's what I want to tell you. Romans 128 will doom us all. Because Romans 1.28 says that the third way that we have repudiated our Creator God is that we have all failed to acknowledge God. Now here's what that means. When you got up this morning and ate breakfast, or you know, if you're like some people, I don't do this because I'm not a coffee drinker, but some, some of you may have stopped somewhere and got a cup of coffee on your way to church and you had it made just the way you like it. And here's the thing. If you savored the taste and the smell of your coffee and there was a failure on your part to be grateful towards God for the creation of coffee or for the, also for the funds to be able to purchase it, then you failed to acknowledge Him and are sinful. It's Romans 128. Uh-oh. If you've ever walked outside on a beautiful day and enjoyed that day and there was never anything in you that said praise the Creator of this day, you're guilty. 
If your physical body is working this morning, you know, I, I don't mean just, I mean like you can breathe through both nostrils, you know, that kind of good. You know, or maybe you can move without back pain or, 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 or just the fact that you can get out, you're moving around, you're alive. And, and, and in response, there's not a, a gratitude in you for the gift of physical health today. According to scriptures, you're guilty. And listen, that's the truth is we've all taken the blessings of God for granted. Haven't we? I have many times. Many times I, I've done that. That's why, listen, that's why, honestly, people get all caught up on praying over their food before you, before you eat, that sort of thing. And that's a good practice unless it just becomes ritual. You know, for a lot of us, it's just a ritual. We like, oh, we got to pray so we can eat. It's just something we got to do to get it over with. But listen, if you pray and there's no gratitude, what have you really done? Isn't that true? Isn't, do you think maybe it's more important to God that even as you're eating, you're grateful that He gave you this food? You're grateful that you have more than enough as compared to m much of the rest of the world? Uh, that you're grateful that He created these, these flavors? That, that He came up with the ideas to put these spices together and create this dish? And that it was all His idea and that He blessed us with it and said, Enjoy your fajitas! You know, that's our nature. We take things for granted. That's why we need the grace of God, by the way. This is not a, a message to say, well, if you've done this, you're in trouble. This is a message that says, this is, proves to us that we all need Jesus. That's what it's all about. But, but why is this so? Why does this matter? It's because according to the scriptures, all things were given and created by God for God. We forget that part. To fail it, to acknowledge his part in any of it makes you a sinner. To take what was gifted by him for him and then you make it your own as if you created it and it was for you, that, according to Scripture, is sinful. So simply the fact that we're accountable to him shows that this messenger is different than any other messenger who came before he said, God spoke in the past by prophets. All the prophets of the Old Testament were accountable to God, but the people were not accountable to the prophet. They were accountable to God, right? But Jesus comes with this message, and now we're told He is the one to whom we are all accountable. That makes Him different. The, the others were mere humans. They were created beings. But Jesus is the creator. And the, the creator came to earth with this message of love and hope and forgiveness and freedom. God spoke in the past through humans, but now he has come to us himself. So while the old way may have been good, it may have been amazing, it was exciting, it was really cool, but God's new way of speaking is even better because now we don't have to just listen to some prophet speak or some pastor speak, but now we get to hear God speaking directly to us. He came to us. He became one of us. And we get to hear God speak. That, that is unbelievably powerful. Something that we often take for granted, but we need to think about the miracle that took place when Jesus came. Now, when you look at the significance, the significance of God speaking, you begin to see why, really why, this new way of speaking that God has is so much better. 
It's so much better because, because of this. When God speaks, something powerful always happens. When God speaks, something, always, something powerful always happens. You go back all the way to Genesis 1-3. And we read this in Genesis 1-3. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And you, you can read through that whole, that whole first chapter over and over and over again in that chapter. You'll read the words, And God said, And God said, And God said, And God said. And then whatever He said, when He spoke, whatever He said came into existence. Every time he spoke, something powerful happened. He created everything, seen and unseen, simply by speaking. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he upholds the universe by what? What does it say? By the word of his power. Look at what happened when Jesus spoke. In, in Matthew 8, we read the story of the centurion who came to Jesus seeking the healing of his servant. And, and, and he recognized the authority of Jesus and really didn't want to, uh, Jesus to trouble himself by coming to his house. And he knew that because of Jesus' authority, all he had to do was speak the word and his servant would be healed. And we know the story. Jesus was blown away by this man's faith. And in response, he spoke the word. And at that very moment, uh, his servant was healed merely by speaking words. Or what about the paralyzed man in Matthew 9? The, the, he merely, Jesus walked up to him and all he did was say, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he did. Just because he said it. Or there's the man with the withered hand. Jesus spoke to him and he said, stretch your hand out. And as he did, his hand was healed. You know, one of my favorites is when Jesus and his disciples were in a boat and Jesus, you remember, was in the back of the boat and he was asleep and, and the storm came up and the wind was so severe that Mark actually adds the detail that says that the boat was being swamped by water. So this is not like a little squall. This is a serious, serious situation because how many of you know what happens when a boat gets swamped by water? It is no longer a boat. It's an anchor, right? You're, 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 in, you're in big trouble when the boat is being swamped by water. So the disciples, they're like... He's asleep? Seriously, he's asleep? We're about to die and he's asleep. So they woke Jesus up and said, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? How many times have we prayed that prayer? Lord, don't you care what I'm going through? Don't you care what's happening? Are you asleep in the back of the boat here, Jesus? What's going on? And Jesus got up and said, oh, you of little faith. And that's his answer to us when we're like, why aren't you doing anything? He says, oh, you of little faith. Don't you know that I've got a plan for you? Don't you know that there's something I'm going to accomplish through you? You don't have to worry about dying in this storm. Uh, you, know, you have to know that I'm going to carry you through because I've called you and I haven't fulfilled my purpose, so we're not going to die in this storm. But Jesus eventually got up and he just simply spoke to the winds and the waves. And he just, in, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, cut it out. He said, stop. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. Think about that. Isn't that incredible? He simply spoke and nature had no choice but to obey his word. 
Well, listen, that kind of freaked the disciples out, and they went to the other side of the boat and started saying, who is this guy? You know, I mean, if you read the story, that's what happened. Then there were times when Jesus spoke to demons that had possessed people and were tormenting them. And, and whenever he spoke to them, they obeyed him. There, there, was no, there was never that moment of, all right, Jesus, you and me, now let's duke it out. We're going to fight to the end. Let's fight it out. There was no, you know, Hollywood in their movies, they like to make this dualism thing where they're good and evil are, 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 are pretty much equal in power and, and there's going to be a fight and you're not quite sure who's going to win in the end. And then in the end, usually the, the good barely wins the battle. But, but that's not the way it was because with the demons, Jesus said, go, and they went. There was no fight. They knew that they didn't stand a chance. What about Lazarus? Think about Lazarus. He'd been dead for four days. Everybody was mourning. And they were saying to Jesus, and when he finally showed up, Jesus, if you'd only been here, you could have saved him. But, you know, you're too late now for that. So. But we still love you, Jesus. But sure would have been nice if you got here earlier. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, roll the stone away. And the, and, the, and, the, and the crowd says, but Jesus, if we do that, it's, it's going to stink. That's, that's there. That's really there in Scripture. They say, that's what their objection said. But Lord, surely by now he stinketh in the old King James. But after they eventually they do it. And when they roll that stone away, Jesus speaks to a dead man and says, Lazarus, come out here. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, whenever I speak to dead people, they tend to be unbelievably unresponsive. But when Jesus speaks, even the dead hear and obey. When Jesus speaks, life happens. There is power whenever God speaks. And that's why God's new way of communicating by speaking to us directly through His Son, by the, by the, the person of God in Jesus Christ, that's why His new way of, of communicating directly to us is so much better. Because when He speaks to us, power is released, life is formed, and we are changed. When God speaks, miracles happen. For, for a lot of us, you know, we, we've received all kinds of instruction. We've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. We've been in class after class after class. We've all heard the quote-unquote prophet. We have the instruction, but the truth is we don't need more instruction. We need a miracle. We need to hear Jesus speak to us. That's what we need. We've heard the instruction, but we're still dead and we're still broken. We're still trapped in all kinds of darkness and we need to hear Jesus speak. You see, prophet, pro prophets comment on reality, but Jesus speaks reality into being. Prophets can tell you what you should fix in your marriage, but Jesus can actually fix it. Prophets can tell you what, that, that you should be free from addictions, but Jesus is the one who gives us freedom. And listen, after this dazzling introduction to Jesus and after showing us that he's better than all the previous human prophets through, through whom God spoke, the writer of Hebrews just sort of seems like he takes a left turn. And all of a sudden he starts talking about angels. Let's read about it. We're almost done, but let's read this part. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today, I have begotten you? 
Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, he brings the firstborn into the world and he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his, and his ministers a flame of fire. But the, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your, uh, uh, for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So to understand what's going on in this text, there's a couple of things we need to know. First of all, what's happening is he's saying, uh, talk, he's, he's talking about angels and then he quotes Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage, trying to show the difference between angels and Jesus. To understand, there, there are a couple of things we need to know. First of all, after the prophet Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, everything goes silent. For 400 years. God has spoken for centuries through these chosen men known as prophets. And all of a sudden, he just goes quiet. And there was nothing for 400 years. Now, we need to know angels had always been an important part of the Jewish belief system. But during that 400 year period between the Old and the New Testaments... They became even more important to the Jewish mind. And the, the Jews actually during that time began crediting acts attributed directly to God in the Old Testament to angels. They, they developed a belief that angels served as the first link in the chain of giving uh, 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 the giving of, of the law, the giving of the Torah to men. They began to see angels as mediators between God and man. And they, they revered them because they said angels stand closer to the presence of God than human beings. And so because the, uh, they were so well placed, then they can secure God's favor for humans because we're not as close to God as they are. It's very similar actually to the Catholic belief of a praying to, to Mary. They say, well, she's close to Jesus. We should, we, it's very similar in that sense. So angels had become really, really important to the Jews. Now, remember, Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. And they, they completely understood the value that tra the Jewish tradition placed on angels. And so, so what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing is he's, he's, he's really just continuing the same argument that he's made about the superior nature of Jesus. As, as the carrier of God's message, uh, but, but now he's just taking it up a notch. He's making the point that angels are powerful, powerful messengers, but none of them can compare to Jesus. None of the angels, he says, are called God's son. All of the angels are commanded to worship Jesus. These are all these Old Testament quotes. Jesus has given power and authority that the, that the angels never receive. Jesus is the, is the creator and the angels are the created. And then it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father until he makes his enemies his footstools. And the right hand of the Jewish mind was a place of honor and power. No angel had ever been invited to sit there. So the writer makes a powerful, powerful argument that Jesus is better than prophets, but he is, he's also better than angels. 
But here's the question. All of this that we've talked about. So what? So what? What's the point he's trying to make? What does it mean to us? Well, he answers that question in the first part of chapter 2. He says this. Therefore, so he's made this argument that Jesus is better than prophets. That God spoke to prophets, but now he's speaking through his son. And the, Jesus, the new messenger, Jesus, is better than prophets. He's better than angels. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in the past, if you ignored the message of God that he sent through his prophets or through an angel, then there were consequences for that disobedience. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. But here's the thing. If we are responsible for the message of God sent through men or angels, how much more accountable are we for the message delivered him, that he delivered himself through the person of his son. That's the point he's making. Let me help you understand what I'm talking about here. And I think you'll get it with this story. This is from my childhood. When I was a kid, I loved baseball. Still love it. I like watching it. Although I'm a Royals fan, so it's very painful for me. But, uh, but it's still, I, I, I love baseball. And I was always, with, usually with my younger brother, we were always throwing and catching and hitting baseballs. And I remember one summer evening when I was very young, I, I had been outside and I was just tossing a baseball up and, and swinging the bat and hitting it. And we had a, a kind of an exposed foundation area in the back of the house and it was sort of a daylight basement type deal. But there were these, these uh, concrete blocks and so we had this concrete wall there. And, uh, and, and so I was throwing the ball up and, and, and hitting the baseball against the concrete so it would bounce back to me. Just doing that over and over again. I, would, I loved doing that sort of thing all the time. So I, I was doing that. And as I was doing this, my older brother, who was inside the house, uh, came to the back window of the house, which from where I was, it was like the second story uh, because uh, the, the house, the front of the house was ground level and then the ground went down a hill so the back of the level so it was up about two stories high and he came into the back window and he and he opened up that window and and he yelled at it at me and my my siblings that were outside and and he said that that mom said that, that dinner's ready it's time for you to come in the house i'm here to tell you i did not want to go in the house I did not want to go in. I wanted to stay outside. I wanted to play with my baseball and my bat. And I got angry at that call. And so instead of immediately obeying the command my mom had sent through my brother, I threw my baseball up in the air one more time. And, and I swung my bat as hard as I could. And I hit it. And I mean, I hit it hard. And as soon as I hit it, I knew I was in trouble. Because it started going straight at the window. Straight at the window where my brother was standing. It was like time stood still. It was, it, was like, it was like one of those movie scenes where everything starts going in slow motion. You know, and I'm like, 
no. You know, as the ball is going, and I'm watching it, my short little light began to flash before my life, before my eyes, which didn't take very long because I was so young, and, and the blood just drained from my face, and my strength evaporated from my body. I mean, I knew I was dead meat within a fraction of a second after I hit it. I mean, why bother going inside to eat now? Dead men don't eat, right? That's, that, was my, that was my mindset. So sure enough, that ball flew straight at that window, smashed it into pieces with my brother standing right there. And here's a news flash for you. I was in big, big trouble. Anybody shocked at that? But here's the thing. I was not in big, big trouble because I broke the window. Because, listen, when you have kids, especially when you have boys... Broken windows are going to happen. I was not in trouble because I broke the window. That was a no big deal. That was easy to fix. That was no problem. But I was in trouble because I had directly disobeyed an order that my mom had sent through my brother. An order that my mom had sent through a messenger. Now think about this. As much trouble as I was in, in response to doing that when my brother came to the window, how much worse do you think it would have been had it actually been my mom standing in the window? And I hit the ball and broke the window when she was standing there. And I'd done that in direct defiance directly to her. How much worse do you think it would have been? The truth is, I would be nothing more than a pile of dust marked by a gravestone at this point. That's, I had been dead. That's just reality. Because as bad as what I did was, if I had disobeyed her face to face, it would have been even worse. That's what the writer of Hebrews say. He's saying, listen, if it was bad when you disobeyed the prophets, how much more will it be? How much more accountable will we be if we don't pay attention to what Jesus is saying to us? Now, I think we can understand that concept. But it's meaningless if we don't remember what the message is. We talked last week about it being a message of love, a message of hope. But that love and hope is found only when we trust in Jesus alone. Now remember, we mentioned last week that these Jewish Christians, they were about to go back to the Old Testament system of sacrifices. They weren't sure if Jesus' sacrifice was going to cover new sins. And so they were thinking, maybe we should go back and make sure those new sins are covered by, by sacrificing animals. And they were about to put their trust in a religious system, and they would never find God's love, and they would never find hope or freedom in a religious system. But here's the thing. We do the same thing all the time. We move from trusting Christ completely to, to trying to feel good about ourselves by keeping some sort of checklist all the time. We think we're okay because we don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew and don't run around with girls that do. That's what we think. We put on our religious mask and, and, and because that mask makes us feel better for a while because when we put the mask on, what we can do is we can compare our actions to the actions of other people and then we think, well, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. All the while, while we ignore the dark, wicked things inside of us like lust and envy and pride and hatred and bigotry. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, stop it. Don't go back into thinking that you deserve this because you don't. 
Don't go, don't go back into thinking you can earn God's love because you can't. Don't go anywhere else besides the cross because you can't find freedom anywhere else. So what do we do with this? We have to recognize the supremacy of Christ. There is nobody like Him. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one else that can, that can bring freedom. There's no one else that can heal. There's no one else that's, that's the Lord of all creation. There's no one else. They would say that, that, that uh, you know, what we'd like to do is we like to add stuff all the time. You know, I mean, I've heard, I've heard people, I've had friends that they talked about trying to find freedom from things in the past by renouncing things you've done in the past. What they would do, they, they told me, they'd say, well, after you come to Christ, you can't have real freedom until you renounce ground that you have, you've given to the enemy. But, and I listen, that sounds, there's so many, so many false teachings out there that sound so spiritual. But the truth is, you can't come to Christ unless you renounce, renounce all that stuff in the beginning. And according to the scriptures, here's the truth. If the cross, if what Jesus did on the cross isn't sufficient to bring you complete freedom, freedom from the sins of your past, then we're all in big, big, big trouble. Now, I'm not saying that after you come to Christ that you'll never struggle with sin. That would be foolish. That would be unbiblical because we're all in the same place. There are dark, wicked places inside of me and they're inside of you as well. I'm saying that sin doesn't have to trap us. I'm saying that, that when we put our trust in Jesus, He transforms us and He can make us free from the darkness inside of us. He works in us and with us to help us become more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ all the time. God is speaking through His Son. He's saying that he loves you. And he's saying that you can have hope and freedom from sin. And today what we've learned, he says, don't ignore the message. Because it came through the Son. It came through God himself. Don't ignore the message. The message is so important that he brought it to himself, to us himself. God came to us. And now he calls us to him. Are you listening? Are you listening? Bow your head. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, I know that there's been a lot of information and some of this stuff may be technical, but God, I pray you'd hear, help us to hear the heart of it. And that is that this message you carried to us your, your, yourself through the person of Jesus Christ, that God came to earth with this message, that we can be free from sin and that there's hope and that there's love. But God, we don't want to be guilty of, of ignoring the message. Help us to pay attention. Help us to pay attention, not, not just for our, our initial salvation, but God, those moments when we somehow are tempted to become religious and have this religious spirit and get this rule, list of rules and do's and don'ts and begin to think somehow we're better than other people. God, in those moments, remind us. Remind us of the message and help us not to forget. We don't, we don't deserve this. We can't earn this. That the only way in is through Jesus. And Lord, I pray you would just you'd help us today. If there's anybody that has not made that decision to say, okay, I trust Jesus. I pray, Lord, that today they won't ignore that message. And Lord, for any of us that have walked with you for a while, I pray that today, God, that we would 
Be willing to humble ourselves in your presence and go back to the beginning and kneel at the cross and say, Lord, thank you for what you did. I know I don't deserve this, but I know you're at work in me and you're changing me. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I just want to know if there's anybody here. Maybe you're online and you're watching and you can, you can indicate through the comments there, but is there anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I just, I just want to make sure that I'm right with God. I don't want to be one who ignores the message. This message was, was so important that God himself brought it to us in the person of Jesus. And, and, and if, if I was going to be accountable to the, to, to the, because of the angel's message and the prophet's message, then how much more accountable will I be if I ignore him coming to, to me himself? And if that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray with you? Is there anybody? just want to make sure. I'm going to give you that opportunity. All right, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son. And Lord, we agree with the writer of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Your way of speaking to us now is so much better because when you speak, power is released. When you speak, Lord God, wonderful things happen. Life occurs. The dead come back to life. Sick are healed. Those that are oppressed or possessed are set free. And so, God, we thank you for this new way. I pray, Lord, that we won't take it for granted. But, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that needs a miracle, I pray, Jesus, that they would just say, Lord, help me see your glory. Help me see what sets you apart. And let me hear you speak. Because I know when you speak into this situation, that's when a miracle, miracle can happen. And I give you thanks. And, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place and we go and we celebrate the independence of our nation and the liberties that we have, Lord, I pray you would just help us to remember very, very clearly that the liberties and the freedoms that we have as an American are nothing. They pale in comparison to the freedom that we have found in Christ. And so, Lord, let that be an important part of our celebration as well. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.